Thank you, Jay. Worship team. Wow, I can do that the rest of the morning, huh? Amen to that. Why don't you pray with me? Oh, great God and King, how great you are. Lord, we just had a wonderful time of worshiping you. But Lord, it doesn't end there. As we open up your word, we get to worship you. We get to see from its pages just how great you are. How we can be gripped by your greatness. And our praise doesn't have to end when the music stops, Lord. We can go out of these doors and praise your name and shout of the mighty things that you do. So, Father, open our eyes this morning. Open our ears to hear from you. And I just ask that you would be glorified by all that's done. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I get so dry when I get up here. Whew. Glad I found a big glass to fill up with water up upstairs. We got more? Good. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, there's an account uh, where Jesus heals a, a boy with, that was possessed by a demon. And uh, after Jesus had healed the, the boy, uh, in verse 43, we're told, And they were amazed at the greatness of God. The people witnessing the miracle were amazed at God's greatness. And I was reading in preparation for today, and I came across this question. When was the last time you were gripped by the greatness of God? When was the last time you were gripped by the greatness of God? And I read that question over and over, gripped by the questions it started to raise in my soul. What does it mean to be gripped by the greatness of God? Do you ever ponder how great God is? The Bible opens with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as you read through that first chapter of Genesis, you can't help but be gripped by God's greatness. He spoke and our universe came into being. And I went online and I found some pictures that display just how great our God is. The Alaskan mountains. The Grand Canyon. And Hawaii. And I love what verse 16 of chapter 1 in Genesis says, he made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made some stars. And this is a picture of the Milky Way galaxy. And this is the galaxy where our solar system is located. But we are located right about here. Our sun, our entire solar system, is a little dot 
that you can, in the picture you can barely see. We're not at the center of that. And this is just one of the hundreds and hundreds of galaxies that are out there. It's almost like the writer of Genesis put that last little phrase in as an afterthought. As he was writing, oh yeah, God made some stars. Stars that you and I can't even see. Galaxies filled with stars. Yeah, he made the stars. Are you gripped by how great God is? In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's where we'll be looking at today, God, the God who created all of those wonderful things is the same God who created you and I. And in each and every one of us, he has placed a universal longing for him. So if you have your Bibles, turn with, to me, turn with me to Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. We have the text up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. But starting in verse 9, Solomon writes, What does the worker gain from all his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has placed eternity in every human heart. Every person that has lived, every person that will live, has this deep, longing inside their soul, at the very core of their being. Everyone has it. Your neighbor has it. Your co-workers have it. Your friends, your family, the person sitting in front of you and behind you this morning. We all have eternity in our heart. God has designed us to long for him. And it's what separates us from the, rest, from the rest of creation. And yet we cannot fathom what God has done. And we cannot satisfy this longing apart from Him. We can't figure out how to satisfy our longing without God. Try as we might, it is impossible to satisfy our eternal long, our longing for eternity apart from the eternal God. But humanity continues to try. And the book of Ecclesiastes is a journal of Solomon's attempts to satisfy the longing God placed in him. Solomon was king over Israel. And if you hold your place in Ecclesiastes and turn to 1 Kings... 1 Kings chapter 3, we're told about God appearing to Solomon in a dream and telling them to ask for anything. 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. 
And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. What would you ask for? Kind of a blank check he gave to Solomon. Ask for anything. What would you ask God for? Well, Solomon asks for wisdom. Verse 6, Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? He asked for wisdom. He was a child, didn't know how to carry out what he was supposed to do. But notice what God does in verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And so God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself and not for, or, and, and not for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, you will I will give you a long life. And Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. Not only did God give him wisdom, but he gave him everything else. Riches, long life, peace from his enemies, Solomon was the wisest man to live and probably the richest. And he set out to understand what will bring meaning to life. And we have in Ecclesiastes what he discovered. All of humanity is on this same search. What will bring meaning to life? And they try to fill the void in their souls with the same things Solomon tried. If you look back at chapter 2, Solomon says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? Solomon tried to find meaning in pleasure. Countless people today try to find meaning in whatever will make them feel good. Some think it will be found in a physical relationship. In 1 Kings 11, we're told that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a lot of ladies. But even being able to be with a different woman every day didn't bring meaning to his life. 
Menna says that he tried cheering himself with wine, but that didn't work. He said, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. People everywhere turn to alcohol to escape the stress of their lives. You can go to almost any restaurant and find a happy hour. Even the name suggests that you can come in, have a few drinks, and forget all your problems. Companies spend millions of dollars to sell the idea that their special brew will be just what you need to have a good time. We've all seen the commercials. There are never any crying people in those commercials. They're always smiling, laughing, having a good time. But it's meaningless. It doesn't last. They wake up in the morning, and they still have that deep longing in their soul. Solomon undertook great projects. He built the first temple in Jerusalem. He took 13 years to build his own palace and the palaces for some of his wives. Today, people try building monuments to make a name for themselves, something that will last beyond them. Or they spend countless hours at work climbing the corporate ladder, hoping that if they conquer the business world, then they will have everything. Only to find out that when they get there, most often they're left with shattered families and an empty feeling deep inside. Solomon had money, lots and lots of money. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we're told about Solomon's splendor. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. My Bible has a footnote that says that's 25 tons. 25 tons of gold every year that Solomon received. But this did not in, even that did not include all of the revenue from merchants that he got from trading from, or from the other kings. If you put what Solomon received yearly in taxes into today's dollar amount, he received about a billion dollars a year in taxes and fees. But it didn't include the other gifts that he got from kings. The queen of Sheba came and gave him gifts. Everybody wanted to sit and listen to Solomon's wisdom. And they brought him gifts of gold. In one place in Kings, it says that uh, he made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. All the dishes in his palace were made out of gold. He didn't make anything out of silver because he thought that that was not of value. So everything was, was gold. Today, people think that if I just had more money, I could be happy. And he says in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes that whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. He denied himself nothing, it says in verse in, in, in chapter 2 of, of Ecclesiastes. He denied himself nothing. 
There, chapter 2, verse 10 of Ecclesiastes. I denied myself nothing my eyes desires. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. It didn't satisfy his soul. And so he says in verse 17 of chapter 2, So I hated life. Wow. (laughs) Solomon had everything. Everything that a man could want. And yet he hated life. People today try these same things to bring meaning and fulfillment to their lives. And like Solomon, they come to the same conclusion. It's meaningless. That's because you cannot satisfy an eternal longing with temporal things. It doesn't work. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5 say, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems you your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. The psalmist cries out in praise to God because of the things God has done for him. It's God alone who can satisfy your desires. Those of us who have given our lives to Christ have found the one who satisfies our longing. We don't have to keep searching. As the great hymn says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. When you accept God's free gift of grace, He satisfies the longing. He fills the void in your heart. In Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not only will you find rest from the work of trying to save yourself, which can never happen, you find rest from your search for what will satisfy the longing God has placed in you. How many times after seeing something beautiful, like a sunset, a field of flowers, or maybe a starry night, do you respond in praise to God? When you are gripped by the greatness of God, you praise Him. It's just a natural response. And not only that, but it should motivate you to want to serve Him. And one way you can serve Him is to tell others who are searching that it is only God who can satisfy their longing. All of humanity has a universal longing for God. God has placed it there. He wants us to he wants and he wants to use us to help others find the one who can satisfy their longing. 
How many times when you share, when you have shared Jesus with someone or talked about the great things that God has done, have you been excited? Felt a little giddy inside? You maybe were nervous at first, but then you were joyful at the same time. I had an experience a couple weeks ago. Uh, I saw a man in my neighborhood cleaning up a house that has been empty for, for, I think, as long as Nancy and I have lived in our house. And then he started taking pictures of it. And so I thought, well, maybe he's a realtor and he's going to sell it. He's cleaning up the yard uh, so that he can sell the property. And so I walked over uh, to him and I began talking to him. And he immediately uh, began telling me how, why he was there, how his marriage was falling apart. His wife had kicked him out. And so he knew the owner of the home, and, and she was allowing him to live there. And as I s- stood there listening to him, I, I started to ask myself, okay, oh God, what, what, what do I say? Oh, uh, should I say anything to him? Have you been there? Ever had that happen? And then, almost, if, if it was God doing it, not me, I said, can I pray for you? And as the words went out of my mouth, I thought, uh-oh. What's he going to say? And I stood there a little nervous. And he said, yes. Yeah. And so I prayed for him. And for his marriage. And then, then we talked a little bit more. And, and I walked back across the street to my house. Praising God for the opportunity uh, to pray for this man. He didn't come to know Jesus right there. Uh, but maybe it opened up a door. And so when I see him in the neighborhood, I can start up another conversation with him. That's being gripped by the greatness of God. When you step out in faith, and God takes you on a whirlwind ride. Humanity is searching for the grace of God for the greatness of God, but they don't know it. You and I, if we're followers of Christ, we've been gripped by that greatness. So let's go with confidence across the street, to work, to the store, ready to tell about how great our God is. Let's pray. Thank you, Father for using me on the street that day. I was scared, nervous, not knowing the reaction that I would experience once I stepped out in faith and asked to pray for him. But you took my hand, Lord, and you showed me your greatness. Lord, I pray that you will take each of our hands and and walk us across the street. Walk us across the office uh, so we can experience your greatness. Fill us with joy, Lord, when we see a starry night, a beautiful sunset, a snowy mountain. Fill us with the joy that we serve a great and awesome God. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.